Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Honestly, it was like a budget thing. It was like 60 bucks to get haircuts, and it bummed me out. It was so much money, so I just stopped getting haircuts. You are locked on Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and we're back with another of the uh, team preview podcast uh, churning through these at the moment and for today's team preview podcast we're going to be looking at one of the most intriguing teams I think in the NBA given all the uh, all that happened to them in the offseason and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder and to uh, to speak about everything that went on with the Thunder and everything in Oklahoma City this past offseason and for this coming season I'm joined by Oklahoma City Thunder beat writer from the Norman Transcript and the host of the Locked On Thunder podcast you've heard him uh, in plenty of different places Fred Katz Fred thanks for thanks for joining me yeah of course what's going on not a lot. Just uh, just tuning through these podcasts. Actually, recording uh, four of these today, so I've got got a lot of stuff happening today. They're all not going to come out at once, but we've got got a lot of information happening at the moment. And I think this is one of the teams that a lot of people will be wanting to hear about because there's a fair bit of uncertainty about how this Thunder team's going to uh, going to look. And you've uh, you've you've joined the the Thunder beat at a, at a very interesting time. Yeah, I mean, look. So think about all that's changed in the last four months between. You know, them them kind of having a disappointing regular season and then turning it on and beating the Spurs and becoming, you know, going up 3-1 on the Warriors and looking like legitimate contenders to win the, you know, the whole darn thing and then blowing the 3-1 lead and losing Kevin Durant and then re-signing Russell Westbrook. I mean, it feels like there's a new major storyline coming out on this team every week at this point. And it's kind of amazing that there's been like a like a one-month break where there just hasn't been anything huge on this team at all. Yeah, you've got you've got uh, your work cut out for you in terms of just interesting stuff, I guess. And you're not going to be. And as a as a reporter, you you must be loving the different uh, the different narratives that get, that are going to unfold throughout this season, and the different angles you're going to be able to take with all the stories that could potentially happen because it's as unknown as any team in the NBA at the moment. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, look, as a reporter, kind of all we people think that we have rooting interests, and we do. But it's never actually the rooting interest that people think. Like it's not. It's not that we're rooting for one team to lose or one team to win or one player to do well or one player to do poorly. We just want stories, right? We just want we want good stories to tell. And I think there are a lot of good stories on this team. There's certainly a lot of good personalities. Like anytime you get to cover Stephen Adams, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get some good stories and some good quotes, like the one that you know you started us off with. Yep. So uh, so yeah, I mean there's there, there are certainly some things to cover on this team. All right, so well, let's let's get let's get stuck into it because we've got uh, some questions. And what I'm doing through all these teams, and we've got this on articles written over on Basketball Monster. Myself and Kyle and Matt over on the side have asked each other three questions about each team. So I'm turning those three questions and asking the uh, the team based expert, which is you in this case, Fred, those same three questions. So let's start with the first one, Victor Oladipo. Does he establish himself as the second offensive threat on this team, and does he take a, a pseudo Kevin Durantish type role as a 
as as the second go to scorer. I'm gonna have a Clintonian response. I'm gonna okay. say it depends on depends on what the definition of pseudo is. Okay. Uh, I mean, I I I wouldn't say. I mean, I think he's going to be the second scorer on the team. He kind of has to be. He has to be that second ball handler. I don't think there's really a second. If he's not, there's not really a secondary creator on the roster behind Russell Westbrook, unless you think Cameron Payne is just going to have an absolute, you know, breakout season in comparison to an inconsistent rookie season, in which he was kind of hurt and in and out of the rotation the whole time. So, I mean, I, I don't think he has any other choice. I think Victor Oladipo is, has got to take over as the second scorer. And if he gets off to a slow start, or maybe doesn't have as good of a year as the Thunder hope for whatever reason. I don't think the Thunder have any choice of getting away from him because this is a team that just doesn't have a, cre- a wing who can create. I mean, you look at the wings on the roster and they're guys who have particular skills. You know, Anthony Morrow is a really good shooter. Uh, you know, Andre Robertson is an excellent defensive player, but there's no one who you could give the ball to and ask to create a shot for himself or for somebody else. You know, even if Kyle Singler has a bounce back year, He's not someone who's going to create a shot. He's, you know, a shooter. So, uh, I mean, there's just, there's not that wing. So it's just, it's got to be Oladipo. And because of that, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And, you know, the counting numbers, I think, are going to come. I, I'm, I think he's going to have a huge season, to be honest, from a fantasy point of view. I thought he was going to be a top 20 guy last season, but unfortunately, he was paired with uh, the worst coach in the NBA. Well, actually, that's that's unfair because Kurt Rambis was in the NBA. But Scott Skiles really ruined him to start the season. But he, he finished the season on a massive tear, Oladipo. He was a, a top 10 player for the last month of the season. He was a top 15 guy for, after the All-Star break. In fact, his last three months, he, he averaged almost 19 points, but five rebounds, four assists, two steals, and shot 47% from the field, which is a huge upgrade in his shooting. Now, it's not a huge sample size, 35 games, but that increased efficiency. Is that something that when, you, when you've looked at his game over that second half of the season, when he, he was really on fire for that team, can he carry that sort of increased efficiency over now heading into his fourth season? Uh, I think the issue with him for efficiency might just be the spacing on the rest of the Thunder roster. I don't think there's going to be a lot of shooting around him. So I think, and, and now granted, that was the same issue in Orlando. There was not a lot of yep. shooting on that roster. The best shooters in Orlando were their bigs, uh, which was, you know, an, an interesting thing. Uh, and aside from Evan Fournier, he wasn't playing really with many shooters either in Orlando. So this is certainly something he's used to. Um, I don't know if the efficiency of the second half of last year is going to come, but I do think he's going to have a more efficient year than he did than he did last year on the whole. Uh, even as a, Even if his usage takes an uptick as a secondary guy on a, on a team. Uh, I think the Thunder are going to give him a lot of responsibilities. I think he's going to be a go-to guy in which they're going to create for, try to create ways to, to make him more efficient. I think he'll be able to get to the rim well enough, even if, you know, defenders are collapsing in on him. Um, and I think just natural development's going to come. I think he's a really good talent with a good work ethic and he's 24 years old. And I, I think it's fair to expect some amount of natural development that you just find in a 24 year old. He's improved his three-point percentage each of the years in the NBA. He went from 33 as a rookie to 34 in his second year to 35 last year. And as I said, ended the season shooting 41% across his last 12 games. I don't think he's going to be a 41% shooter, but you could see him, or I can see him definitely going over that 35% just as he gets better. He's an aggressive rebounder. He's a good defender. You know, two steals a game is not out of the question. He's a really good shot blocker. His fantasy stats are, are out of control. To me, he's a top 20 player. He's, he's a player that you grab at the end of a second round. And as you mentioned, they just don't have other options to be that guy. Now, I really like campaign. I think he's going to be a tremendous player at some point in the future, but he's got, you know, coming off, well, he's recovering at the moment from a broken foot. He's in his second season. He's not 
a guy that they're going to say, yeah, Donovan's not going to come in and say, oh, you know what, Oladipo's struggling, let's give campaign 35 minutes a night. I just can't see that being a realistic situation. So he's going to get minutes and he's he's going, he has to produce, as you mentioned, and all those numbers I can see improving. He's a real breakout candidate to me. And look, he's a, he's a candidate to me to, if he had been in the Eastern Conference still this season, I think he would have been a real all-star candidate. Yeah, I, I'm with you. From a fantasy perspective, he's just he's gonna put up numbers. Like he, like like we were saying before. The thing is, like when we say he has to produce, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's gonna come out and play great. Because you hear people say it all the time, "Ah, oh, so and so's got to step up," and that doesn't mean that they're going to step up. But when we're talking about actually fantasy and we get into the counting numbers and that kind of you know, points and rebounds and assists and the stuff that actually matters in fantasy, which you know, you, you know, who cares if they matter on the court? But they do matter when you're putting together your lineups, like he's going to have those opportunities. If he gets off to a slow start, it's not like they're going to have a quick trigger. He's going to have those opportunities because there's no one else they're going to put in for him. And he's, he was their big get. He was the big get in the Ibaka deal. He's going to have lots of opportunities to put up big numbers. He's going to have, I think his, his usage is going to increase. He didn't really mesh well with Alfred Payton in Orlando. That's going to be, you know, something, and it's going to be a thing of the past now. Um, you know, he's going to have those opportunities. And from a fantasy perspective, I think it'll probably end up being his best year because of that. Yeah, I can't I can't see a way that he doesn't have yeah, a career year here. But another guy, Fred, who is a player that had a, a big, not second half to the season, but a real breakout playoffs, and that is Stephen Adams, who we've, we've touched on already. He came in to, comes into this season you know, really as a real hyped-up player, a guy that the Thunder... Uh, were confident enough to trade a Barker away because they they're thinking Adams can take on a bigger defensive role. He can take on a bigger role in general. He's heading into his fourth season as well. Does is his playoff in performance is that real? Is that something we can expect over an eighty-two game season, or is that something that maybe is a little bit you know, too high of, of a level to expect from him? I think it's reasonable to expect it. You know, if he were if he were like 28 years old and had been in the league for six years and we'd seen the same caliber play for him for six years. And then we saw a good month from him. I would say, no, it's not reasonable to expect, but he's, he just turned 23. He's progressively gotten better since he's been in the league. He's a wonderful talent. The thunder have kind of coveted him as a, as a really, really valuable talent for a few years. And the thunder thought this was going to happen. Like Sam Presti and his front office, they, they thought Steven Adams was going to reach this level all along. They'd been really high on him. For all along it's not just a coincidence that that all of a sudden he's a really good player uh, I, I think that that level of play is going to carry over for the regular season and uh, I- into the regular season I should say and because of that like we're going to see a numbers increase if only because the minutes are going to go up I, I think he averaged like 10 and 10 in the playoffs um, you know obviously he's a player who's better in real life than he is in fantasy um, he's not He's a really good athlete, but he's not an incredible shot blocker. I'll get his blocks, but he's not, he's a very good rim protector, but he's not an incredible shot blocker. Like he's not going to, you know, he's not a Baca or anything like that. Um, but he'll get rebounds. He'll get offensive boards. Um, he'll, he'll, you know, get his, his putback points. I think he'll touch the ball a little bit more this year and more than he did in the playoffs. So in that sense, maybe he averages a couple more points than he did. Maybe he's like a 12 and 10 player. Um, you know, you can tell me if that's somebody worth drafting, but uh, I think just because the minutes increase, we're gonna see we're gonna see an uptick in his numbers. We've got him projected at twelve and eight at the moment. Um, the blocks is the interesting one to me because you mentioned he's not a great shot blocker, just one point six block shots per thirty six last season. But without Abaka there, 
you know, someone is going to have to provide some sort of you know, shop blocking weak side stuff, but there's no one else who really projects as being able to do that. So even though he's not a great shop blocker, I, I still imagine that his, his block rate actually increases because I, I think some of the time last season, he's playing his defense and doing his rim protection and he knows that Ibaka's coming across to alter these shots and block them, but he doesn't have that that level of, of comfortability with the other guys he's playing with, so he's going to have to try and get his hands on more shots. So I see that block rate increasing a bit this year. Is, is there any chance that you see in his game if he being a guy that maybe gets to two blocks a game or is that just pushing it too far? I think that's pushing it too far. I don't think it's really in his style um, to be to be a shot blocker. Now, I think from a basketball perspective, because I, I, I like to separate these opinions because fantasy value and real-life value are very different things. I think he's a very good rim protector, and I think he's going to be a very good rim protector, and he'll probably get better because, again, 23-year-olds tend to get better when they work hard and play hard and are smart and are talented. They tend to improve because they're only 23. Uh, but But he's just... He's never been a guy who's chased for blocks. He's a smart player. He uses verticality well. Um, you don't see a lot of blocks on that kind of stuff. He's a quick helper, and he's and, and maybe maybe if he just becomes this incredibly sneaky, outrageously quick-moving, rotating help defender, maybe he sneaks some more blocks than I anticipate. But um, I don't think he's ever going to be a tremendous. Like you don't have to be a tremendous shot blocker to be a tremendous defensive big man, or even be to be a rim protector. Um, while I think he's a different style player than Marcus Saul, I think we're going to see that same type of thing where Marcus Saul is a great defensive player, doesn't get, you know, he's never going to lead the league in blocks. I think we'll see a similar type of thing from Steven Adams, even if they are stylistically different defenders. But I think that principle is going to stay the same. Yeah, look, I, I don't think he gets to two blocks either. I was just uh, just throwing it out there to see if you had a, a differing opinion. But what he is in fantasy, his poor free throw shooting is going to be a real impact because you mentioned him getting extra touches. That's probably going to translate into a slightly higher free throw rate. He was a guy that and shot a 58% last year, but post-All-Star break, he only shot 52%. So it, it was a big decline in what he was able to do um, from the line. And that doesn't look like it. He hasn't really shown a, an ability to get better from the line throughout his career, which which is a concern. And if the attempts go up, that makes him a guy that in fantasy, he, he projects as you know, almost a punt free throw type of big man, not quite to the Drummond and Jordan and Howard levels, but that Mason Plumlee, Clint Capella-ish type uh, role where if you're not accounting for his free throw percentage, you're just going to end up losing that category. But he is a guy that he's a real solid top 100 type of player this year. Takes a, a big step forward. And, and I'm with you. I think that he the increased minutes, the increased responsibility, it's all going to translate into some some decent numbers. And he's going to be a solid a solid guy in those seven, eight, nine, ninth round sort of area in a, in a fantasy league. Billy Donovan, he's got a couple of decisions to make because we know Abaka's gone, we know Durant's gone, so there's two openings in that starting lineup. I've got my ideas on what they do in this starting lineup, but who, who do they start in the, at the three and the four? Uh, so it's going to be, I mean, one of the new starters will be Oladipo, of course. Yep. And at, at, at the three, uh, I think they're going to go with Robertson. He's just, this team, I think its strength is going to be its defense over its offense, which is weird to say after losing... Durant and Ibaka that a team that was, you know, outside the top 10 in defense that their strength is going to be their defense. But I think Adams is going to make that leap. And I think Robertson kind of fits, fits with that mentality of, of kind of a defensive minded gritty mentality. There's just, I mean, look, if there was a, a really good wing on this roster who could, who could play two ways, I would say that guy, but that guy doesn't exist. Um, you know, maybe if Kyle Singler bounces back, he's the guy, but that's certainly not going to be the case right off the bat. He's going to have to prove it for a couple of months that he can have a completely opposite season 
of what he did last year before what, he what gets a starting Cole, role. What happened to Kyle Singler? He was good in Detroit, and then he, he moved to Oklahoma City, and it's like he forgets everything about how to play basketball. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Like, I, I, I'm watching the same stuff as you, but he was – he was a he got a five year contract because of his play in Detroit. And he was a forty percent three point shooter from what I what I remember in Detroit. Yeah, I mean he's still a thirty seven percent career shooter from three. Um like he 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 had a he had a down shooting year last year in every sense. And the thing is, like if he's if he's not shooting, aside from the fact that he's pretty good at guarding the ball, he's not really gonna provide much. At least on offense, he's not gonna provide anything because he's not a ball mover, he's not a passer within the offense, he's not a creator, and he doesn't really create off the dribble. So so if if he can shoot and he can play some defense, that's a big deal for them. But and I think they're going to give him that opportunity to see if he can come back and maybe give him an eighteen minute a night role. But um, you know, I, I don't I don't know if it's going to happen. But I think they will and they should give him the opportunity. I, I think the other starter is going to be Ilyasova. Yeah, I, I just we, we talk about how there isn't any shooting, and, and I've I just I I banged this drum a lot this offseason that. It, regardless of whether you think Ilyasova or Cantor is the better player, Ilyasova is just incomparably, in my mind, the better fit in the starting lineup. Because if you start Robertson, if you start Robertson, Oladipo, Westbrook, and Stephen Adams, there's one thing that all four of those guys have in common, and it's that not one of them is an above-average three-point shooter for his position. And and you need an above-average three-point shooter just so Westbrook and Oladipo can get into the paint a little bit easier. And if you're starting Cantor and you've got two bigs playing inside the arc with a guy in Robertson who defenders don't really guard and, and two, two guys, two guards who are penetrators over shooters, uh, you're going to have spacing issues and they're going to have spacing issues no matter what. But Ilyasova could do a little bit more to grease that just because he's a good three point shooter. And I think you're going to see him in the starting lineup, even if Cantor ends up getting a little more minutes, Ilyasova is just going to be the guy in the starting lineup, I think, because of that. That's the exact way I see it playing out, that Ilyasova will start, but Cantor will get probably an extra two minutes or so over him. And that, that'll vary on what depends who they play, really. Depends on what the opposition is, depends how the game is looking, depends on, on a lot of different situations. You know, Cantor will obviously play some the backup five also, but you know, I see Ilyasova getting sort of you know, low to mid-20s in minutes, and he becomes a, a deeper league fantasy guy because he hits threes. He, he's a, a pretty good rebounder and his rebounding was depressed last season because he played alongside Andre Drummond and whenever you play alongside Andre Drummond your rebounding numbers come down like Tobias Harris's numbers went down by like almost two two boards per 100 possessions from memory just from playing next to uh, next to Drummond now Ilyasova is a guy in the past when he played for Milwaukee he had some 20 rebound games so he's a really solid rebounder Adams is a good rebounder but he's not a, uh, a vacuum like uh, Drummond is Cantor's along those lines but I don't you're going to see a lot of Ilyasova and Adams together. So I think his rebounding comes up and he becomes that deeper league player, but I don't think he's a player that's really falling inside the top 150. Cantor, on the other hand, he doesn't need 30 minutes to become a fantasy player. He was a a top 60-ish guy last season in like 21 minutes. And Fred, I have to think that his minutes are going to go up from what he played last year. Yeah, I think that's plausible. Um, I mean, they they need some amount of offense in a lot of ways. And, you know, he he's an incredible offensive player. I mean, he's he's amazingly skilled in every way. He has gorgeous footwork in the post, and he's got tons of moves. And he's so fluid. And, I mean, he's he's all the way down to the fact that he is a tremendous offensive rebounder. Um, you know, he's he's maybe a little too aggressive of an offensive rebounder, but he's really good at it. Like he led the league in offensive rebound rate last year. And if his numbers go up, I mean, look, if he averages. He's a guy who could conceivably average a, a double double 
in you know 26 minutes a night if he gets that um i mean he would have it would be a tremendous rebounding season but i think if he got that many minutes last year he would he would have been pretty darn close to that he averaged like 13 rebounds per 36 last year or something like that so he uh He's, he's, he's a tremendous rebounder. He's a really good scorer. I mean, we keep hearing every year that he's going to shoot threes. I I think he's capable of it, and I think if there's a year that he's at least going to do it in the corners or something like that, it's this year. But at the same time, if you put him out in the perimeter, you're losing his offensive rebounding stuff, which I think is a big reason why he's hung around the basket a lot more. I think he could end up getting some more minutes just because they need some more offense. But at the same time, his fit on this team is a little strange because – He's, he's odd playing the four because just defensively it doesn't work as well when you put him far from the basket. And uh, he, he works better in a second unit where he can kind of be the guy on offense. You know, he can be the one holding the ball. He can be the one you're running your offense through. He's just better in that role. So uh, I could see him in the mid to high 20s and getting an increase in minutes, but I could also see that falling back throughout the year if his numbers are really good and – you know, his on-off numbers just aren't good for the team when he's on the floor. Yeah, that, that is a risk with him. But as, as I mentioned, even in 21 minutes last year, he was a comfortable top 100 player. So you grab him in the 60s or 70s, I don't think you've got too much to fear of him returning value similar to that. Yeah, he doesn't, He's not a great defender. His steals and blocks aren't great, but he still can get half of each of those a game. But you're drafting him for you know, elite percentages, a really good field goal percentage, great free throw percentage, super rebounding. And if you count offensive rebounding, you mentioned it, Fred. You, you had a great article on this as well, that he is the best offensive rebounder in the league. He was last season. He just gets everything. His offense is tremendous, and he provides all those things. And it's hard to get a guy that can give you maybe 15, 16 points at the back end of a draft, and cancer can be that sort of guy. He doesn't need 30 minutes. He doesn't need to start to be impactful. And then if for some reason they the Adams gets injured and they have to play him 30 minutes, then you're talking about a top 30 type fantasy guy who, who could go out there and realistically get close to 18 or 19 points and, and 12 rebounds. And then the, the added volume on his percentages really helps in that area too. So he's he's got some downside, but there is also upside. And I'm pretty pretty confident that he's going to be a, a solidish guy without being spectacular. And a lot of what he does fantasy-wise goes a little bit hidden because it's in his superb efficiency is where a lot of that value comes from. We touched on Robertson. He's, he's going to start. Now, he saw a couple of games in the playoffs where he, where he looked a little bit better offensively in terms of, of hitting some three-pointers and corner threes. But in the in the overall scheme of things, he only hit 32% in the playoffs. He hit 31% during the regular season. So it wasn't like it was a massive leap forward. Is he someone that you think you know, could take a step and become a, a, an, an even an average three-point shooter? Or is it just the offense is just not ever going to come for him? If he does, I'd be surprised. <laughs> um, I, I just, I mean, he could because, again, I mean, the thing is with this team is that everyone's really young. So... It's possible, and, and this is also an organization that's notoriously really good at developing young players, too. So it's it's plausible. If it happens, I don't think it's happening this year. Um, you know, if, if maybe, you know, from a fantasy perspective, he, he's not a guy who I think would provide value as a three-point shooter or anything like that this year, and it's not a good enough risk to take if you're in a keeper league or something like that. I mean, because it's not just like he misses shots. No. Um, his... His, and it's not even just that he misses them badly. Like it's not even that like he he hits the side of the backboard from the corner a couple times every year. It's it's that it's that his his footwork's all off. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's really slow his footwork. He doesn't line up his feet particularly well, um, and his 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 release is is you know a little funky too. So um, 
he's got a lot of things that he has to work on. He is working on them. It's not like he's not working on them. One of my least favorite things is when people say, oh, he's not shooting well and his shooting hasn't improved, so it must mean he's not working. As no. if everyone can just shoot if they worked at it. If that were true, then I would have hit a three-point shot at some point in my life. Uh, and that's that's never going to happen. So, I mean, it's I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, he's working at it. I just I don't think it's going to happen this year. If it does, then I mean, that is that's a massive it's a massive improvement. What he is, he's an above average rebounder for his position. Um, he, he gets a, a decent amount of, of steals and blocks, and he can be useful on occasion in a fantasy situation where you know what my waiver wire is really thin. Who's going to get me rebounds, steals, and blocks? Who's not going to hurt me in percentages because he doesn't take enough shots to have any impact in those categories, despite being a you know, 58% shooter from the line. He takes less than one a game, so it has no bearing whatsoever. But you can get a guy that maybe he gets you two steals. Maybe he gets you a block. Maybe he grabs you seven or eight rebounds. They're all the possibilities of what he can do. And because of what he does defensively and you know, the guys behind him, like Morrow and Singler, he's clearly got that role locked up to me. Um, yeah, and, and and he's also just adding on. Just yeah. he's a guy who, if you're in a particularly deep league and and you're looking at a guy like him, I think his percentages are going to stay pretty consistent because I think he's going to get a lot of points. He's he's good at running the floor and he's good in transition. I think he's going to get a lot of layups and dunks in transition because Westbrook and Oladipo are going to get. This is a team that's going to run. Westbrook and Oladipo are going to gamble a lot. They're going to get a lot of squeals. They're going to try to get out running. It's an insanely explosive and athletic backcourt. And I think Robertson is going to end up benefiting from that. So I think even if he, you know, misses misses shots in the half court, I think a lot of transition, well, I should say proportionally, a lot of transition opportunities are going to keep his percentages up. So it's not going to hurt you from a fantasy point. On that, on that, do you think that Thunder increased their pace this season? Yeah, I no, do. I do too. I do. I, I think it's going to be a very strategic move. I think there there's so many times where Westbrook walked the ball up last year. Kevin Durant walks the ball up. And, you know, they, they try to put up a shot late in the clock or they end up, you know, with 12 seconds left on the shot clock. They just go to Durant ISO. And, uh, yeah, I, I think those situations aren't are, – they're just not going to organically arise because Kevin Durant's not there. And uh, they have incredibly explosive backcourt that's incredible when they run. So I think it would be silly for them not to try to take advantage of that. The NBA draft, the Thunder didn't have a huge um, huge night in terms of selections. They, they picked Daniel Hamilton in the second round, who's got zero chance of making this roster. He hasn't even been uh, been signed at this point. Um, but we'll talk to Mundus Sabonis, who came across in the Oladipo trade, the 11th pick in the draft. Um, he, I think, he, from my mind, he struggled a little bit in Rio at the Olympics. He's very, very one-sided, very left-handed. How does he fit into what they do? Are they they're going to be able to ease him in, especially with the acquisition of Joffrey Lavernier? How do they how do they use Sabonis, and how can you see his role in developing as the season wears on? I think he's going to play. Uh, he's a really good rebounder. Yep, that's that's a thing that usually translates pretty well. So, um, they, I mean, they have a lot of good rebounders on this team, and and he's one of them. Um, yeah, he is. He's he's very left hand dominant. He doesn't have a right hand. Um, but, but he's got, he's got good enough footwork to where I think he can make it work and, and, and find ways to, well, creative ways to finish until he finally gets there. Cause he is really coordinated. I think he, he will develop a right hand at some point. He just doesn't have that right now. I think he's going to play. My guess is, you know, he could be in and out of the rotation throughout the year early or, or early on or something like that, because He's a rookie, and that's what rookies tend to do, and that tends to be my expectation for pretty much any rookie who doesn't go in the top five or something like that. 
but I think he's probably going to settle in in maybe a 15 to 20 minute a night role as the fourth big man on this team. Um, you know, with, with Laverne, after the Laverne trade, uh, you know, it, it makes things interesting because they have 16 guys who are on Laverne, Laverne is technically not guaranteed right now, but they didn't give up two draft picks so they could get him just so they could cut him. They got him so they could keep him. I, I thought they that, guaranteed. I thought the Nuggets guaranteed his deal uh, a couple of weeks before the trade. They might not. Have, uh, I thought they did. Oh, he they, he they, was non guaranteed at one point. They guaranteed half of his. Deal. Okay. Yep. Um. So so half was guaranteed, and then it fully guaranteed at the start of the season. Okay. Um. And so and so they've got sixteen guys right now who are, you can say, are guaranteed, and as you know, you can only have fifteen of them. So. They're going to make some move now. It could just be a fringe move of, you know, Mitch McGarry for a second rounder or something like that. Um, and it could be it could be something bigger for all we know. Uh, but there's going to have to be some kind of move there. Um, and it's hard to figure out the big man rotation until we know exactly what that move is going to be. So, uh, but, but but just knowing what we know now, my, my guess is I, I feel like Sabonis is going to settle in at like the 15 to 20 minute a game marker. Uh, as a fourth big man behind Ilyasova and Kanner and Adams. In terms of Sabonis' future, do you see him as being someone who can play alongside Adams? It's hard to say without seeing him actually you know, meshing with his team and playing preseason, but do you think that he's got the skill set to play alongside Adams as a as a starting four? Yeah, I think that's that's a plausible long term scenario. I don't think the Thunder would have taken would have would have traded for him if uh they didn't believe that that was the case. Uh he, he's not a bad shooter. No. Um, he's not a three-point shooter right now. He doesn't have NBA range, or at least he didn't at Gonzaga, and and he didn't show it with Lithuania during the Olympics. Uh, but but I do think that's a goal that they have for him to turn him into a guy who can shoot threes. Now that doesn't mean that that's a goal for him. If we're talking, we're talking the long term now. It's not a goal for him for 2016 or 2017. This is a goal for down the line. Uh, but I do think they probably view him as more of a four because he doesn't. He he's not going to be a shot blocker. He's not going to be a rim protector just because he doesn't have the physical traits. He's not. It's not really long enough, and he's not really athletic enough to uh, to to play that role. But I think he can be kind of a switchy enough defender to where he can play the four and get his feet. He moves his feet pretty well in the perimeter, so I think he can he can play that role and and complement Adams nicely defensively. And uh, if he can ever get three point range, then then that's a guy who you can say, yeah, that's that's your guy next to Stephen Adams. And if not, then maybe he's just a solid third big man. When you're looking at a guy like Sabonis moving forward in dynasty type formats, to me he projects as being a a worse offensive Ennis Cantor, like a really good rebounder, a guy that scores but provides nothing in the defensive stats, but you know, shoots a high efficiency from the field and shoots a really good free throw percentage. So being a big who can give you, you know, points, boards, field goal percentage, free throw percentage, and, and not giving you much in the defensive area, he, he projects as that sort of player and you know, getting into a starting role, that's that's enough to be a top 100 player at some point in the next, you know, probably by the end of his rookie contract, he could be that sort of player. So he does have some significant upside you know, moving forward, but that's that's what you should be expecting from him, I think, as we as we move forward throughout his career. Now, free agency wasn't great for Oklahoma City. We know that. We know Kevin Durant left. They uh, they lost um, Dion Waiters. They I'm sure they're all you know, torn up about the fact that Randy Foy and Nazir Muhammad are no longer on this team. And the only guy they brought in was Ronnie Price. So in in you know, effect, the free free agency wasn't a great great win. Now Price he slots into the third point guard role. He is a a break glass in case of emergency type of guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think he's going to be a guy who's getting meaningful minutes from a fantasy perspective. He's going to be behind Westbrook. He's going to be behind Payne. And and if something terrible happens with Payne or Westbrook or something like that. 
they're going to give facilitating minutes and floor general minutes, you know, whether he's technically playing the one or not, they're going to give those ball handling duties to Victor Oladipo a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, Ronnie Price is technically the third point guard, but he's really the fourth yeah. kind of floor general facilitator on this team if you include Oladipo. Look, Ronnie Price should have been out of the league three years ago. So the fact that he's managed to stick around in Phoenix and Los Angeles and now get another contract, but he's not he's not going to play. Um, what about a breakout candidate, Fred? Who, who's someone, it might be someone we've already sp- spoken about. Who's a guy, and you can frame it however you want, that's going to be a, a breakout guy this season? I think the highest potential for that is probably Cantor. Yep. Um, you know, if he, cause, cause look, when he came to Oklahoma city a couple of years ago, I mean, he was averaging like 18 and 12 monster. And now that was, that was when guys were hurt, but that's, that's an amazing, um, you know, that's an amazing fantasy value. Mm. If you can get him low, um, you know, I, I think, I think he's going to be more playable this year. Cause I think he's just going to be a better player. I thought he was better last year on defense. He, he, he wasn't. Was he wasn't the worst big man defender, and people act like he's the worst big man defender in the history of the NBA. He wasn't the worst big man defender in the NBA last season. No, he wasn't, because there are guys who who both have no ability. Who all uh, they have the three terrible traits. They have they have no ability. They don't know what to do, and they don't play hard. Yep. Um, now, now Canner doesn't have all those three. Canner plays hard, and Canner's problem. I mean, Canner's problem. He he can defend the post. And he's so big that he'll stumble his way into blocks sometimes because he's just massive. Uh, his problem is that he doesn't have the feet to defend in space. He's just – it's funny because you watch him on offense and he's so fluid and he moves so well. And then you watch him on defense and he just gets turned around so easily and he just he gets on his heels too easily. He doesn't have the feet. And and just he gets caught in the wrong place often. And that's kind of his, his issue as an offensive rebounder too when he doesn't really know when, when to go for an offensive rebound or when to get back on defense. Um and it's just he, he'll get caught in the wrong place too often. But but he tries. And if you try, like, it's not going to make you a good defender. People play off people play off too much. Uh, you know, the defense is all about effort, and that's it. And it's not true. But if you try, you're not going to be the worst defender in the NBA. And, and he tries. Uh, I think if he makes himself into a more capable defender, all of a sudden it's more justifiable playing him 25-plus minutes. And when he gets those minutes, like, He's going to get rebounds and he's going to score. Like he is really, really, really good at those two things. So, I mean, if you want him on your fantasy team, he's going to do it efficiently and he's going to hit free throws. And, and if, you know, he can, he can, he'll get some blocks every once in a while just because he's so large. Um, so, so I, I think he's probably the guy. And if somebody gets hurt, all of a sudden he's playing 30 minutes, he's going to put up really big numbers. Yeah, he's a top 30 player in that sort of uh, situation. I've got a couple of questions on Cantor I'll get you asked. First of all, what's his mustache situation looking like at the moment? <laughs> to my knowledge, he's got the same mustache he had last year. He shaved it in the offseason. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm asking. And he grew it back. Yeah, he grew it back though. He needs to go. The, he needs to go Freddie Mercury. He needs to go full, full Freddie Mercury and just get it really, really bulking up. The second question is, and a more serious one is he in terms of offensive big men he to me he's a top five offensive big man in the league in terms of just what he can do if when he gets the opportunity like brooke lopez is there boogie cousins is there but is that sort of the range where you put him that's an interesting question um yeah i mean i think that's a reasonable take um i I still think al jefferson is is really good i mean are we we talking about just like big men who are who are good around the post, or are we talking about like, like is Draymond Green a big man in this situation? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's just talk, well, we'll talk post players in because his, his post moves, yeah, we'll are, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. 
so I mean, yeah, I mean Blake Blake Griffin, I'd put in there. Um, you know, Blake is Blake is great when he's on the run and that kind of stuff. But I, I would put Blake Griffin in that in that scenario. And uh, yeah, I mean, Canner Canner's in that conversation. If you're just talking about like post offense and 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 who's got who's got the best moves in those scenarios. I mean, he is he's so creative in the post. He's got about 48 different moves. Um, he's 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 so he's so graceful as a post scorer. And he's got tremendous touch around the rim. I think he's a better shooter than people give him credit for it too. He's a pretty good shooter. Um, when you when you get him out into mid range, he's he's reliable. I, I would be confident in him taking those shots when he's open. Um, I mean, he's he's a wonderful offensive player, and offensive rebounding is part of being an offensive player. And you know, he's he's about as good at that as there is in the league. So he's he's a he's a wonderful offensive player. There's no question about that. The uh, questions about him come come on the other side of the floor. One thing that's always will always burn into my mind about Cantor is when he came across from Utah to Oklahoma City and his first game back playing against Utah. Obviously, the Jazz they weren't happy with the way that he exited and some of the comments that he made, so they were they were targeting him pretty uh, pretty seriously. He had a, a a play where they dumped it into him. Three Jazz guys ran over to him. He got them all up in the air on a on on a shot fake. They came back down. I think he did it again. Then he just went up and under three different guys and put it in. And they're all just trying to, to basically just hack his head off. And he took three of them out and, and put it in. And it was just like, this is what this guy does on an offensive end. Like three guys doing their best to hurt him and to stop him. And he still gets the shot up, shot up and it looks it looks perfect. Like they weren't even there, basically. Like he was three steps ahead of what he was doing footwork-wise. And that's, that's how he can play. But obviously the, the downside is that he can't do it on the other end. And that keeps him off the court. The player, the yeah. Pl- Go ahead. Oh no, I was just I'm 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 wholeheartedly agreeing with you. The player that everyone I think wants to hear about on this team, from a fantasy point of view, is Russell Westbrook. We we've seen in uh, 2014-15 when Kevin Durant was out with that broken foot that Westbrook was putting up you know, historic sort of numbers. He he had an historic season last season with Durant in the lineup in terms of his ability to to rack up triple doubles. Now. People will come across to Basketball Monster. They'll go and have a look at the uh, at the projections, and they see the associated rank, and they'll look at it in terms of with turnovers on. They'll say Westbrook's ranked ninth, and I've had a lot of questions. Why are you ranking Westbrook ninth? I'm not ranking Westbrook ninth. I don't think he's the ninth best player, but the amount of turnovers that this guy gets, and he he will likely get a huge amount again this coming season, and with the increased pace, that might even go up again. That's what bumps him down to ninth. He is no, he is not the ninth player. You don't take him ninth. He's a top three fantasy guy, but a lot of people were thinking he's going to be the number one overall guy in fantasy, and when Durant was injured last time, he wasn't the number one player in that stretch. And the Oklahoma City Thunder have come out and said that Westbrook is not going to go full hero mode like he did then because the team is the team is better because they've got Oladipo. Back then, there was no Abarca, there was no Durant. It was it was Cantor and, and Westbrook. And in terms of Westbrook, Cantor's obviously a big, so Westbrook was doing everything on the perimeter. Now with Oladipo there, he's not having to go into that sort of role. So he's. I don't think we're going to see that same you know, 40% usage that we saw uh, after the All-Star break in 2015. I can't see him doing that. He is the third best player to me in fantasy. And don't. if, if you're worried about turnovers, you can't, you can't draft him because they're going to be sky high, but I would never worry about turnovers. And that's why he's down at nine, just because of the impact of turnovers and because of his field goal percentage. But is that the way that you see it? He's not going to be that 40% usage monster that he was in that two, three-month stretch in 2015? I actually totally agree with you. And I'll, I'll add on a couple of points as to why. Number one, that's that's just exhausting to do for an entire season. Yep. 
I mean, it, it is, it's one thing to do it for 27 games or whatever he did it in 2015. It is exhausting to do for 82. It's so tiring. Number, number two, I, I, I think he's going to have to channel. Look, when, when he was putting up that 40% usage and I, I forget what it was, but that, that a 40% usage would be for, for reference of, of people listening, a 40% usage would be the highest usage of any player ever since the merger. Yep. Like that, that would be insane. Like the, the year that Durant got hurt a couple of years ago and he basically you know, took over, he had the second highest single season usage ever behind Kobe in 05, 06. Uh, I think it was 38.3%. Uh, so, so, and that was on the whole year and he was like 40% after the all-star break. It's exhausting. And uh, I, I think he took a, I think he developed as, as a, just a, a, a basketball mind last year as a facilitator I think he was so much better uh, finding guys, and 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 I just don't see that necessarily regressing. On top of that, when he was when he was just kind of going nuts a couple of years ago, that team, that offense stayed pretty good. The offense or the defense was really, um, and and I I think he's you can't channel that much, or at least I don't think he can channel that much energy into offense and still just be a bulldog on defense, uh, which is something that we've seen from him the last couple of years. Now, I think he's probably going to put some more energy into defense, and because of that, he might have to give some extra possessions to Victor Oladipo, and that's fine. I mean, that's the way it should be uh, with this team, which I think is capable of being a top-10 defense, uh, and I predict will be a top-10 defense, and I think part of that is going to be because I think Russell Westbrook is going to up his game defensively after having a, a down-year defensively last year. Yeah, I heard you talking about that with uh, with Nate Duncan on uh, on the Dunked On podcast uh, last week about what you, your thoughts on, on Westbrook and his defense. But yeah, I, I can't he can't maintain that sort of usage. So for people thinking, yeah, he's going to average a triple double, he's going to be thirty, ten, and twelve. He's just not. Look, he he might get close to that, but he's not going to be able to do that over the course of the season. Oladipo is going to take the load off some to some degree, and he fits in really solidly as, as a top four fantasy guy. And yeah, the turnovers are still going to be a real concern, and that's something that again I totally disregard when I'm looking at fantasy value. I, I do not care about the turnover set. It bumps him from the third player to the ninth player. That's how big of an impact, how bad he is in that turnover category. It's one of the biggest negative impacts that anyone has in any category outside of Drummond, Jordan, and Howard is is Westbrook's um, turnover category. So that's, that's why he's down so low. But otherwise... He's going to put up really good numbers. He's going to be a solid top four guy, probably a top three guy. Wouldn't fault you if you took him at one or two, but I still think that he's not going to be that that insane guy that we saw for two months, where he he literally much like what we saw with Harden last season at the end of the season, where he Westbrook had to do everything and Harden had to do everything at the end of last season, and he's just not going to have to do everything. The team is better now than what it was when Durant was out for that stretch, and that's going to allow him to to pass his energy across the season which is something that's if the Thunder are going to make the playoffs they absolutely need him to do they can't have him average a triple double for two months and then go down with some sort of wear and tear injury that's caused by overuse they just can't afford that sort of thing to happen so I'm glad that you are I'm glad that you agree with me there Fred because it's um I've had a few arguments with people about that I want to talk about campaign because he's one of my favorite players he was one of my favorite players before the draft last season I was um I was horrified at the way that Donovan used him down the stretch in in terms of the fact that Payne outplayed DJ Augustine, got into the starting oh no, not starting line, got into the backup role, and then when Randy Foy came across, Payne was taken out of the rotation, and then they tried to use Payne in the playoffs when he hadn't been playing for two to three months. We know he's got the broken foot, but he should be ready for camp. Do you see him getting a, a bigger role this season and playing alongside Westbrook and Oladipo quite a bit? 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to give him an opportunity, I assume. Uh, like, look, there's, I guess there's a chance that they take that opportunity away because they gave him an opportunity last year, and then they kind of pulled that back. And I always thought, you know, you're you're on a team that's definitely going to win 50 plus games. They were they were kind of they were kind of penned into the three seed pretty early in the year after Blake Griffin got hurt. You kind of knew they were going to be the three, uh, or, or at least the three and maybe the two, but prob probably the three once the Spurs just you realize the Spurs were never going to lose ever. Yeah, they, they they lost what fifteen times last year. Yep. Uh, so once you kind of realize that that there was such a split there, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Donovan could have done a better job developing Cameron Payne, but let's not forget that he was hurt last year. Yep. Uh, that was that was part of the reason as to why he sat when he wasn't. He was playing, but when he wasn't playing, he was walking around in a walking boot just for. They were said they said you know just for precautionary reasons or whatever it is, but. You know what? If there's no injury at all, then there's no need for a walking boot. There's there's something there if there's a walking boot, and, and there's something that can contribute to you not playing at your absolute top tier level. So, I mean, I, I think Payne's a really good talent too. He's he's a good athlete. I think he can develop into a good shooter off the dribble and a good creator. And he's small. He's he's put on some weight this off season, which is something that can certainly help him as long as he maintains his quickness, which you have to believe he did because it looks like it's just muscle and. But he's he's a scrawny guy. Like he's still built like a kid, you know. He's and and he's got he he looks like a kid. Like if you if you saw him on the street and you didn't know who he was, like you'd think he was fourteen years old. Like he he's got a baby face and scrawny body. I mean, he's tall. He's like six one, but he's he really looks like a kid. Uh, and that's something that you know he'll have to he'll have to get used to. Just kind of the 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 banging around style of the NBA and. And, and that, you know, the toll that 82 games of that takes on your body and, 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 you know, putting on that weight will help, but, uh, you know, just anything consistent out of him would, would really be an improvement. I don't know if this is the year that he breaks out cause he's still only 21 years old and I like him as a talent and I think he's going to be a good player. I don't know if the expectation of him as a breakout guy this year is a fair one. I think we need to see a consistent year before we call him a breakout guy, but I do think at least some amount of consistency, the ability to just stay in the rotation, stay as the reliable backup point guard. I do think that's a fair expectation for this year. He's a guy that I think that at some point in his career in the next few seasons, he has the potential when he gets a starting role, whether that is if Westbrook ends up leaving or he finds himself in a Reggie Jackson situation where he's at the end of his rookie deal and he gets traded, that he's a top 50 fantasy talent. To me, he might top out at about 20 minutes a game this year. But again, it's just developing him and seeing what he can do because when he gets the minutes, you're going to get really good assists, good scoring. I think the efficiency goes up. Um, he's a solidish rebounder. He gets steals. He, he hit threes. He'll be a really, a really solid top 50 fantasy point guard when he gets an opportunity. So in deeper leagues, he's a player to invest in in a deep dynasty format. For this year, he, he sneaks inside the top 200, and that's probably where he sits, unless you know, he's forced into bigger action because Oladipo's out, or because Westbrook's out, or because however they, they want to run it. He's he's gonna he's not going to force his way into a huge role this season, but I, I really like, and I've said it plenty of times on this podcast before, that I really like what Payne can do. I think he can be a real top 50 asset yeah, within three years' time. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. And I think the Thunder got a... It was the absolute worst spot for him to go in the draft from a fantasy point of view, sitting behind Westbrook and Durant. But in terms of talent, he was one of the top fantasy producers you know, on a per-minute basis to come out of last season's draft. And I still believe that'll be the case when he eventually gets that opportunity. Another guy that I'm excited about, Fred, Alex Abrines. Um, I think his defense is going to be a concern, but 
you talk about a lack of three-point shooting on this team. He's a guy that's been a 40% three-point shooter for the last three seasons, I believe, at Barcelona. How do you see him fitting in? Or is his defense just going to be so much of a concern that they're going to have to you know, really limit what he does? He's going to get an opportunity because he can shoot. That's the thing with this team is I think I think Billy Donovan's basically going to give everyone an opportunity because he's just going to be in search for shooters. Anyone who has a history of possibly being a three-point shooter is going to get an opportunity to play, I think. So if Abrinas comes on, he shot like 40, 43% yep. uh, playing in Barcelona last year uh, and, and was really one of the best shooters in Europe in every single type of shot, whether you're talking about, you know, catch and shoot, out of the pick and roll, off the dribble, whatever it is, if you look at, you know, those synergy breakdown of his three-point shooting, he was one of the best three-point shooters, not just in Spanish League, but in all of Europe, uh, in, in in basically any type of three-point shot that you can take. Uh, and the Thunder are certainly excited about that. Now, there are other parts of his game, which I just don't know if they're going to translate great uh, to, to a guy who's just a rookie. I, I think he's going to be a solid NBA player. But I also think we have to realize, I think sometimes with guys who come over from playing in Europe, I think we sometimes think of them as, you know, like that they're like Ichiro or something. And, and you know, they're 27 years old and their game is honed and they're ready to come over. Like, Abrinas is still a 22-year-old rookie right now. Uh, and I think we do have to have fair 22-year-old rookie expectations, which means I expect him to be in and out of the rotation all year. Now, if, if he's more consistent than I, than I expect, then I'll, you know, I'll admit that. But I just think, with with a rookie who who isn't a top five pick, I think for the most part you have to expect the guy to be in and out of a rotation, learning how to play defense at the NBA level, learning how to deal with the game speed. Uh, I think he's where he presents the biggest positive for them is not just his shooting, but it's his ability to move off the ball and actually run off like pin downs and stuff to where they can find him for open threes. Because Anthony Morrow is a great three point shooter and Ilya Sova is a solid three-point shooter, but Morrow's really a standalone catch-and-shoot guy. And Ilya Sova can pick and pop, and he can catch and shoot, but you're not going to, like, run him off of a screen and, you know, run floppy sets with their son Ilya Sova. You can do that with Alex Sabrinas. So that's not only a way for them to get three-point shooting. It's also a way for them to get some much-needed motion in their offense, which can help a lot with spacing beyond the three-point shooting and can just make a defense move, which will help a lot. So that could buy him some minutes, just his ability to do that because he's that type of player. But I, I do think he's probably going to end up being – there are going to be times where we're seeing him getting consistent playing time depending on the situation, and then there are going to be some times where we see him get some DMPs. I think what you said about Morrow is, is accurate as well. Like he's one of the best shooters that we've seen really in the NBA, but he just can't do it in multiple situations. His defense is atrocious. He, he doesn't handle the ball. He can't get himself open as well. And Abrinas is, is a really, really good athlete. Like He's a guy that can you know, throw it down hard on, on breakaways, get up for alley-oops. He's, a, he's an athletic guy. He's in the He's in the Mario Hezonia sort of mold rather than the Boyan Bogdanovich European mold. He's a, a guy that's, that flies around the court. He, he's quick. He's athletic. His defense needs work, but I think with his athleticism, he could be a guy that at some point you know, averages one, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3 steals a game just because of his athletic gifts and, and you know, some sort of anticipation. But it's not going to happen this season, as you mentioned. He's someone to look at long-term, but they're going to give him that opportunity. And I think that by the end of the season, he he plays a more consistent role than Morrow just because of those limitations that we mentioned about Morrow. And we talked about Singler earlier, who's forgotten everything about basketball, which which could bounce back. But the, the one and a half seasons we've seen from him in Oklahoma City have been absolutely uh, depressing from a from a basketball perspective, and it's uh, totally confusing. So he's, he's got that opportunity, and it's opportunity is key. One last player I want to touch on, 
Josh Eustace, is, is there any hope for this guy to be a rotation NBA player? You know, we, we haven't really seen it. The thing is with, with Josh is that he just hasn't been he hasn't he hasn't hit his threes. Like even in the D League, he's been he's been a thirty one percent three point shooter in the D League. And uh, you know, that's something that would have to change if he's gonna play. Look, he's he's a wonderful athlete, he's got great bounce, he's a wing who can block shots, yep. which from a fantasy perspective, that's that's amazing value. Oh, if you can get a valuable. wing who if you can get a wing who can block shots, I mean, that's that's rare. That's that's some really rare value that you can get on the fringe. Uh, and, and I think if he were ever get minutes, he would get that. But I just don't – I mean, look, maybe he sees the floor again because this team just doesn't have wings. Like, think of the names that we're talking about that provide wings. So maybe he gets his first real opportunity uh, because the, they just had so much capital in Kevin Durant. He was really their only wing. Like, think about how long this team spent trying to get a shooting guard – put Kevin Durant who could play defense and shoot threes and they just couldn't do it. And now they're kind of in the position where they have that and they don't have Kevin Durant. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe Houston finally gets an opportunity, which is something he's never gotten because his first year he contractually had to stay in the D league. And then uh, this past year, he only got into five NBA games while staying in the D league for most of the year. And what was technically his rookie year. So maybe he finally gets his first NBA, you know, opportunity, but uh, you know, I just, we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. If they look as we mentioned earlier, they've got sixteen contracts. If they don't make a trade, who's the guy that that misses out? Um, well, I think they will make a trade. I think in a worst case scenario, they just like it's going to be a big. It yeah. has to be a big. So I, I think I think if they don't make like a huge trade, it's just going to be something like Mitch McGarry for a second round pick, and another team takes him into cap space. Okay. Um, and, and you know, just like a future second round pick or something like that that's protected. Um, and then and then they take that they take McGarry into cap space and 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 hopefully try to take a risk on him. Uh, I think that's the simplest way. I'm sure you can pull off that deal with someone. That's an that's an easy deal to make if you you know if you don't care about grappling over the protections for the second rounder and you know whether it's one of those second rounders that just rolls over every year and never comes over or not because they they do need to get rid of someone because they got 16. Um, you know, there could be a bigger canner trade up their sleeve. You know, there could be, there could be, you know, a, a flipping Ilyasova, or you know, maybe they, maybe they know that another team out there loves Laverne and they're going to flip him. For all I know, um, you know, this isn't anything I'm reporting. This is just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of the opportunities. But they've got seven bigs on the roster, uh, and, and when you're when you're short on guards and you're short on wings and you've got a surplus of bigs. And you have an extra roster spot that you're, I should say, you're, you're, you, you're, you're over the limit in extra amount. Like you get rid of what you have the surplus of, and and that's bigs in this scenario. Bold prediction time, Fred. Have you got a, a bold prediction for this team? Um, it can be phrased in any way that you want. You can make it record wise, trade wise, locker room confrontation wise. It can be Fred Katz meme worthy press conferences. What's your bold prediction for this team? <laughs> Oh man, they, I, I, my my well, my my unbold prediction is that I'm not going to refer to any of the athletes as <laughs> Fred this year. That that I can that's that's my personal goal for the season. My my goal or my my okay, here's my bold prediction. By the by the end of this regular season, whether he's with the Thunder or not, uh, Ennis Cantor will be generally known around NBA circles as the best Twitter follow of any player in the NBA. He's hilarious. His Twitter his Twitter feed is fantastic. When um when Westbrook signed that extension, with that that picture that he tweeted out with the Lakers was 
was hilarious. He is very, very humorous, and you need to follow him on Twitter. He's so funny. I don't even follow most players on Twitter, but he's he's hysterical. Did you see his Oladipo tweet after Durant left? When he put the uh, the tape across the back of the jersey. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. He's he's had like three hilarious Durant tweets since Durant left, and like he's had a couple of great Westbrook runs. And him him and Adams have an amazing rapport. Like they're really close friends, and they they have an incredible. You have to follow both him and Adams because then you can see their tweets at each other. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, this the Stash Brothers stuff, and they had those T-shirts that last year as well. Yep, yep, they're great. They're both. I mean, Adams is hilarious too. But I think everyone knows that Stephen Adams is hilarious at this point. And I think, I think with Canner, some of some of like the the stink from Utah kind of carried over to him here in Oklahoma. And uh, I, my, my, I think that's going to go away this year. I think because I, I, he's a he's a good guy to cover, and he's he's really really funny. And uh, I, I think. I think he's going to be the best, the the go-to NBA player follow among among NBA fans by the end of this year. Yeah, I, I enjoy that prediction. I think it's uh, I think it's definitely he's definitely right up there. You've got a great team to to cover here. You've got Cantor, you've got Adams, you've got Westbrook, who can be humorous, he can be pissy, he can be any number of things. But there's is definitely no lack of uh, interest in what's going to be happening with the Thunder. Fred, thanks for for coming on. Um, what have you got coming up on Locked On Thunder or uh, over at the uh, blogger for the Norman Transcript, uh, Thunder Road? Yeah, so uh, so so up, up on Thunder Road, I've got up a, a couple of pieces just on one one from from Tuesday on on what did I write on on offensive rebounding yep. and how good of an offensive rebounding team this could be. One a follow up to that from from Wednesday, uh, which is about uh, kind of how if they're so aggressive in pursuing offensive rebounds, then what's that what's that going to say about their transition defense this year, and how's that going to mesh with a team that's you know really going to be defensive minded. Um, Got another piece up on Westbrook going up on Thursday. Um, so, yeah, and then just, you know, lots of Thunder coverage, and I'll be starting on season preview stuff in a couple of weeks. And Locked on Thunder, I'm going to be starting on – I've been doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then uh, and then I'll I'll be I'll be back to the daily model, uh, I guess, in, in a couple of weeks. Season starts real soon. Yeah, we're not too far away. Where can everyone find you on, on Twitter, Fred, so they can uh, follow all of your stuff? On Twitter, I'm, uh, I'm Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. And, uh, yeah, you can just go to normantranscript.com. Uh, just find my stuff there. It's a, head, head to Thunder Road. That's, that's my blog. It's under the tab on the, under the sports tab on uh, normantranscript.com. So you can find it right there. Yep, check that out. I, I just read last night that uh, the piece you had on the offensive rebounding, and it was, it was really informative. So I do recommend everyone checks that out and listens to uh, Locked on Thunder. Subscribes to it. Subscribe to this podcast and give us both five-star reviews and uh, and. Say whatever. Say something nice. Say say something constructive. Say whatever. Just give it the five stars. That's uh that's the most important thing. Fred, thank you once again for coming on. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Progressive presents Mind Flowness with Flow. Before you lies a beautiful meadow. In that meadow, Progressive Direct has placed its auto insurance rates alongside those of competitors. You select the lowest rate and feel a great sense of calm. A great sense of Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates so you can rest easy. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.